Hi, everyone. I know recently we announced we were going to two episodes a week and then three episodes a week. But you know what? There are just too many episodes. So we are going to back to five episodes a week. Still a reduction from seven, but there were just too many interviews scheduled, and I didn't want to make all the authors wait for too long. So I hope you can keep up with me. Listen to one a week as you're on your way to work or on your way home or putting your kids to bed or whatever it is you're doing. Moms don't have time to read books now five times a week. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hi, I'm Zivi Owens, and you're listening to Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. This 30-minute podcast features a new author interviewed by me every single day, 365 days a year for about 30 minutes. I am also the publisher for Zibby Books, which publishes 12 books a year in fiction and memoir. Our books are already out now. You can check it out on zibbybooks.com. And we have a magazine called Zibby Mag, where we have lots of wonderful essays and lifestyle features. That's at zibbymag.com. We have classes at zibbyclasses.com. And I recently opened a bookstore in LA called Zibby's Bookshop at 1113 Montana Avenue at 11th Street in San Monica. I hope that you are able to enjoy some of our other offerings. But this here podcast is the basis of all of it and started in 2018. And no matter what I do, this is basically my favorite thing. Enjoy. Mary Kubica is the author of Just the Nicest Couple. Mary is a New York Times bestselling author of thrillers, including The Good Girl, The Other Misses, and Local Woman Missing. Her books have been translated into over 30 languages and have sold over 2 million copies worldwide. She's been described as, quote, a hell of a storyteller by Kirkus and, quote, a writer of vice-like control, Chicago Tribune. And her novels have been praised as hypnotic by People and illuminating, LA Times. She lives outside of Chicago with her husband and children. Welcome, Mary. Thank you so much for coming on Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books to discuss just the nicest couple. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be here. Oh, yay. Could you please tell listeners what Just the Nicest Couple is about? 
Yeah, absolutely. Just the nicest couple is, it's actually about two different couples um, who are really quite different. We have um, Lily and Christian first, who are just kind of like your, your perfect couple. They're happily married, very much in love. They're expecting their first child. So they're just really optimistic about their future and they're in a good place. Um, the other couple, Nina and Jake, are quite different. They're, their marriage is just really at odds. They're constantly butting heads. There's just a lot of animosity in the marriage. Jake works as a neurosurgeon, so he has these incredibly long, stressful hours. Uh, Nina works as a teacher, but she's also taking care of her mother, who is getting older and has some health issues. One of which is that she's slowly losing her vision. So um, she just requires more help from Nina all the time, which also kind of creates some tension and bad feelings in the marriage because Jake is a little resentful for the amount of time that Nina spends with her mother. So they're, they're not in such a good place. And then one night, Jake, this neurosurgeon, doesn't come home from work. And, you know, Nina is at first sure that it has something to do with a big argument they had the night before. She thinks he's gone to a friend's house or hotel and he's just blowing off steam and will come back in a day or two. But then time passes and some things happen in there that make her realize something bad has actually happened to him. He's not just somewhere blowing off steam. At the same time, this other woman, Lily, she knows that she was the last to see Jake before he went missing. So she tells her own husband, Christian, what happens. And the two of them decide that they will do anything to keep the truth from coming out. So it's really a, a cat and mouse game of one woman who's desperate to find her missing husband and another couple who will do anything to stop that from happening. Wow. Excellent elevator pitch. Way to go. That was really great. <laughs> well, I have to say, as I told you before, and I won't say anything, but I read the whole book and I got drawn in right away. All the different characters, points of view. I feel like I was immediately like rooting for sort of everybody at the same time and wanting to see how everybody was connected and then you know, being surprised and, oh, look at that. And okay. And, you know, I am like the most gullible thriller reader ever. And anyway, so I feel like I was trying to analyze what it was, like, why could I not put this book down? Was it the the desire to like figure out the end? Was it rooting for everyone? I don't know. So tell me how you put it together. How did you, how do you, and you're a pro at this, obviously, but like, how do you construct each one of your stories to have that effect? Yeah. So I, I mean, I, I, I don't plot anything out. So I go into it having no idea really who my characters are or how the story is going to develop. And almost never do I know my, my twist when I start writing. That's something that comes, you know, midway through the writing process. I think that I just need that time to get to know my characters and kind of figure out what is going on in this story and, you know, sort of, you know, take a look at everybody's backstory and what brought them to this point in time. And so what might motivate them, you know, to have an impact on, on that final twist. So I just, I start writing, you know, I, I always start my, my books with some sort of problem, you know, something that needs solving. And in this case we have, you know, this missing man. So the next question I always ask myself is who's going to tell this story? Because all of my books so far have had multiple narrators, which I love doing because I think that it just provides, you know, some more insight for one into more than one character's heads, you know, as a reader, you kind of get a more comprehensive view of the story. But I think it also brings some more questions because you don't know if you can trust all these narrators equally, or if maybe somebody is, you know, intentionally misleading you or unintentionally misleading you. So you have to kind of, um, you know, piece through that information as a reader that you're being given. So then I, I do something different that I don't think most authors do. But for as much as I can, I actually try to write 
highlight one of these narrators' stories from beginning to end at a time. So in this book, we have two narrators. We have Christian and Nina. So I started with Christian's storyline, and it was a little bit more difficult with this book as opposed to some of my other books because what is happening in one storyline really mirrors for you know from chapter to chapter. They really um, play off of each other, so it was a little more difficult. But I wrote Christian from beginning, you know, in like halfway into the book as far as I could go until I got to a point where I really felt like I needed to step back and start interspersing Nina's story in there. But I just feel like I get to know my characters a little bit more thoroughly this way because I can spend a little bit more time with them instead of just like bouncing back from cha chapter to chapter. Um, and I I don't know, I think that as, as a reader, I know that's one of those things that keeps me invested is when I really feel like I know the character and I have some sort of connection to them. And so as a writer, that's something that I'm aware of and really try to do with my characters. Interesting. I like it. So mm -hmm. Jake has this command of the medical language. Did you do research? Did you talk to doctors? You married to, I don't know. Where's the doctor coming from? <laughs> I definitely did some research. I, I am not married to a doctor, um, but no, I, did, <laughs> I did as much research, really just online reading as I could. A, a lot of things that delve in some more serious stuff, like, you know, neurosurgery. And in, in the case of this book, I, I give as much of information as I feel comfortable, like as I feel like I can without getting too, too much into it, because it's definitely nothing that I have any expertise in. So, um, you know, I, like I said, I did some research. I talked to it, you know, enough to be able to get a feel for Jake's character and what he does and maybe a little bit about him himself. Um, you know, I think that just hearing some of the passages, you, you, you get the feel that he is very smart, maybe a little cold, but, you know, you can pick up a little bit on his bedside manner and hearing some conversation about him. So I, I sort of just used that to create his character and then stopped when it got, you know, beyond my abilities. <laughs> <laughs> um, the park plays a big role in this and it feels very visual. Like I can see where the different parking entrances are and the different paths and this and that and like how it even walks by, you know, curses by the house and just... I don't know. Is this a real place? Did you make this up? <laughs> it felt very, very real to me. It's a real place. So it's not, it's, it's, if I'm in the suburbs of Chicago. And so I modeled Lingley Woods after a place called Waterfall Glen. So if anybody is, you know, from the suburbs of Chicago, it's, it's based on Waterfall Glen. I, I changed street names and stuff like that. But, you know, the layout, even like the layout of the parking lots is all the same. It's an area that I like to go to run or walk. And it's, it's a beautiful path. For the most part, it's not as scary as. I kind of make it out to be <laughs> in this book, you know, you go on a Saturday morning and there are a lot of people there. So you're not really as alone, you know, as I make it out to be in the book, but there are definitely paths um, that wander off the main path, which would be much more hidden from the main trail. Interesting. There's one piece of everybody's narrative, which is this moment of, wait, maybe things aren't what they seemed. Like, wait a second. And like looking at something very familiar and, and questioning things and then doing that thing where you have to go back in life and like sort of rewrite what you thought all along. Tell me about that moment. And it's like this combination of sort of fear and confusion. And, you know, it puts the reader very ill at ease as it does the character. I think we all have those moments. And that's one of the things with all of my books that I, I like to draw on. You know, I feel like these characters and their experiences are not 
that different than our own. You know, I mean, obviously they're experiencing like their worst days in this book, but I like things to be really relatable. And I think that, you know, we all have something happens, you know, and our emotions are like skewed, I think, because of, of the way we feel about it. And then especially over time, some of those things start to change and um, fade. And so when we look back on things in retrospect, we might have different memories of the way that it happens. And um, I think that that's just something that we experience all the time, you know, and I mean, you, you, they always say that if, you know, somebody witnesses an accident, a car crash, something like that, all the witnesses are going to kind of see a little bit something different based on, you know, where they were, how their memory is, what emotions they bring to that situation with them. And so that's just one of those like truths that I like to bring to my books to, because I think that it's something that we can all relate to on some level. Interesting. So take me back to you as a kid. <laughs> You're a big reader. Are you like plotting? You, give, give me the visual here and how you got to here. Yeah. So a big reader. I, I love to read. We we didn't have a bookstore in my town, but we had the library. And so I would go whenever I could. I would just check out as many books as I could carry home and, and just anything. You know, I loved fiction, but I loved nonfiction too. Just whatever, whatever it was that I was interested in at the time, I would go and just gather up as many books as I could carry and go home with them and stay up way past my bedtime reading. And so I, I just loved to read. But I like to write too, but writing was really private for me. Like the idea of wanting to write books for other people to read was totally beyond me. But it was just one of those things that, you know, I did to pass the time. I would come home from school and I always had some sort of story that I was working on. And it was really, you know, now now that I look back on it, it was, I mean, really, I think like just an extension of myself. You know, I'd create a character that was a little bit like myself, um, but more adventurous, you know, more outgoing. And I'd kind of live vicariously through her. And, you you know, for as much as I love to write, I just knew that that wasn't, or I thought at that time that that wasn't anything I was ever going to want to pursue professionally. So I was actually a high school history teacher for a number of years, but, it, you know, in the summer or after school or on the weekends, just whenever I had time, I was always writing. And then um, back in 2005, my daughter was born and I left teaching for a while. I, I thought it would be temporary, but um, I left teaching to start my family. And it was then when my daughter was home, she was like weeks old, which now in retrospect, I have no idea how I did this, but I, I got the ideas for my first published book, The Good Girl. And so whenever I could, if she was napping or just content, I would get on the laptop and start writing. And um, with that book, you know, something just clicked. You know, I just, I fell in love with these characters in a way I just hadn't loved any characters that I had created before that time. Time. And it was the first time in my life that I thought, I want to finish this and I want to do something with it, or I want to try to do something with it. You know, of course, I, I had no idea what would become of it, but I just, I felt like compelled to try. I thought that I owed it to myself. I owed it to this book just to see what could happen. So it took five years to write the book. Um, and then when I was done, you know, I, I had no idea what to do with it. I, I, I was never part of a writer's group. I had studied education in college. I hadn't even taken a single creative writing class. I didn't know any authors. So I just, you know, got on the internet and started researching and came up with a list of, or the, the writer, the book, The Writer's Market, and which has literary agents. And so I went through the book and and just started finding all these literary agents that represented the kind of book I, I thought I had written. And I was not selective. I mean, anybody that, you know, represented friends, <laughs> I just, I sent out like a hundred query letters. And at this point I had written the book totally in secrecy. Like my husband knew it existed, but I wouldn't let him read it. And nobody else knew it existed. So like, I didn't even have a friend proofread this manuscript for, you know, 
commas <laughs> before I started sending it out to these agents. And sure enough, like the rejection started coming in right away. And um, there were ultimately three agents that asked to read the whole book, but then those three passed. And so every single agent that read The Good Girl passed on it. And, you know, I just thought, well, that's that, you know, the book's never going to be published. And I kept writing, you know, I would, I would love to say that if I never sold one book, I would still be here writing because it's just one of those things I've loved so much. But two years after all those rejections, one of the agents reached back out to me. And it just so happened that when she first read The Good Girl, she was brand new to this literary agency right out of college. Um, she had gone through the slush pile and found The Good Girl, took it home and read it and loved it. But she was working as someone's assistant and not in a position to represent it herself. And her team decided to pass. So she had to pass, you know, on their behalf. Well, within those next two years, she was promoted. And now she was a literary agent and she could represent her own books. So she reached back out to see if it was available. And I mean, it was just, it was a dream come true. So I'm always telling people, you know, any, any aspiring writers out there that are having trouble that I was, I was one person away from this never happening. So, you know, so much of it is about timing and just finding that one person that's as passionate about your work as you are. That's crazy. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. So is now this agent like running the whole agency basically? <laughs> she should be, right? Yeah. <laughs> That's amazing. And then what was the process of selling it like? So then um, she went out, you know, and I still at this point, I had never told anybody that, that I run. And how many years ago, how many years ago is this now? So I found her in 2010 and, uh, or I, I should say I queried her in 2010. She reached back out in 2012 and the book was published in 2014. So she went out with it and it was sort of, you know, initially there was a lot of no's and I was nervous, you know, because just because I had the agent didn't mean we were ever going to sell the book. But ultimately I did get two offers and was able to, to speak with both of these editors on the phone. And I, you know, signed down with Erica Imrani, who is still my editor eight books later. 
Oh my gosh. And you're with Park Row. Amazing. Eight books later. So tell me about the success of the first book and what that felt like after this long road to get there. It was, I mean, it was unbelievably exciting. You know, my expectations were low. (laughs) I had no idea. You know, I thought, well, you know, my family and friends will buy a copy and and maybe that's it. I didn't know. I didn't know, you know, if readers were going to, how they were going to feel about it. I mean, it takes a lot to put that book out there. You know, I think that the first time I walked into a bookstore and saw it on the shelf. I just wanted to like grab them all and take them back home with me. Right. Yeah, you yeah. Know, I was so nervous, but the the feedback, you know, and it was kind of in the months leading up to the book's release that I could tell things were all going in the right direction. And I knew my publisher was 110% behind this book. And I, you know, saw the early reviews coming in and they were very positive and it got a starred review from Publishers Weekly. And so I just knew that everything was kind of moving in the right direction. So it was just beyond my wildest dreams. Oh my gosh. And now you've just been doing it over and over again. So what is your pacing? I could do the math. So you're basically doing one a year almost, right? I am. I am. Yes. I've slowed down a little bit in the last couple of years to more like 15-ish months. You know, and I think just the more books you write, then it's like you're trying to, you're trying to compete with yourself. You're trying to outdo yourself. And so to make sure I could do that and come up with new twists and, you know, totally original characters, I wanted a little bit more time in there. So I've slowed down just a little bit. COVID set me back a little bit. I find found that a really hard time to write. Just my, you know, brain was not where I needed it to be in my creativity. But yeah, so for the most part, I, I get a solid draft done in a little bit less than a year, maybe nine to 10 months. And then my editor and I'll go back and forth for a little while on revisions. So with Just the Nicest Couple, what was the first piece of this that came to you? You know, I loved the idea of a missing husband. I think that we just, we hear so many stories or we read, you know, in fiction and on the news about missing women and missing wives. And I myself have written books about missing women, but, you know, I feel like we don't really hear it about the missing man. And so I wanted to sort of examine that and see, is the story ultimately the same or is it a little bit different? You know, and so those were some of the things that I explored, like, you know, when Jake first goes missing, for one, you know, his wife doubts that he's missing and that he isn't just blowing off steam. And then even when she does go to the police to get some help, the first thought is, you know, well, maybe he's just left you, you know, so it takes some time for people to really take her seriously. Oh my gosh. It's hard interviewing thriller writers because I really want to talk to you about all the things that happened, but then I don't want to give all of this away. All to say, it was very exciting. And I just feel like you really got me in there, like in the hallways of the school and, you know, in the houses and, you know, in the park and, just transported. So that was fun. <laughs> Thank you. That means a lot because that's what I, I want to do. You know, that's the goal. And you never know if you're, I think as a writer, you get so close to the book that you never know if like it's going to affect the reader the same way that it affects you. So it really means a lot when I hear that you had that reaction to the book. Awesome. So are you reading anything amazing right now? Yeah. So I just, I I get, I'm sure you do too. I know you do, but I get some early copies of books. So I just finished just yesterday, Ashley Winstead has a new one called Midnight is the Darkest Hour, which comes out in October and was so, so good. I absolutely loved that one. Um, and then I'm just about to start Riley Sager's newest, which comes out this summer sometime. So I'm a big fan of his and I'm very excited to read that. I have to say, I feel like the thriller writing community is such it's such a tight knit group. I feel like you all know each other and thriller fest. And how does that happen? Are you all in the same Facebook group? Do you have a mailing list? <laughs> like you all seem to be blurbing each other and getting to know each other and panels together. Tell me about it. 
They're, I mean, honestly, like they're the warmest human beings I think I've ever met. And I think it surprised me for one. I just, you know, I didn't know when I first got started writing, I had no social media presence at all, you know, and my editor had to give me a a big boost to like get on Facebook and, you know, start connecting with people. And I had no idea what to expect from other writers. Like, would there be a lot of competition between writers and the thriller community has been so warm and welcoming. And I think it's it's kind of ironic because, of course, we're writing really dark and twisty stuff. But I, I mean, just because you read my book doesn't mean you're not going to go read Riley Sager's book or whatever, you know, so there doesn't have to be that competition. And instead, it's just been really amazing to see the way that everybody is so supportive, you know, both online, you know, just really shouting each other's works out for for everybody to read, but also behind the scenes too. You know, there's a lot of emails and Zooms and, you know, direct messages and stuff, just offering encouragement to one another. And I think because writing is, you know, we don't, we don't have coworkers that we get to see on an everyday basis. So I think to have that connection with other authors who really get it, you know, the the isolation or what it feels like to get that nasty review and things like that. It's it's such a big help. Amazing. Okay. What's the next book? So I'm working on, I'm so close to, to finishing <laughs> the next one. I'm so excited. I, I don't do a working title or anything. So I, it's just book nine and I don't have a perfected elevator pitch here, but it, it's about a woman, an ICU nurse who gets a patient who jumped from a bridge and she, the, the woman is unconscious. And as this ICU nurse, she gets to know the patient's family and people who come to visit. But over time, it comes out that the woman was not, she did not jump, but she was actually pushed. So now this nurse does not know, you know, who of this woman's loved ones she can trust. Mm. And these ideas just keep coming to you. They're just like, it's like a spout. They feed on each other. Knock on wood. You know, I hear other authors talk about, you know, they have like notebooks of ideas. I don't have that. You know, <laughs> there's always that moment moment of panic after I finish one book. Like, will I think of something new? But eventually they do come. And there have been periods where I might go, you know, weeks or a month without an idea or I get an idea and I start writing and I realize that it doesn't have legs and it's not going to work out. So there, there are definitely bumps along the road, but I'm always so grateful, you know, when I get a new idea and just really get into the writing. And, and know that I can see it through. Awesome. Well, Mary, thank you so much. Like, what are you going to do now? How often, how long are you going to write today? Like, what's the plan? How, how, like, what is your typical day? So I'm a, like an early morning writer. So I have to say it's like not almost 10 o'clock here in Chicago. And I've probably already written a good, like three hours. I was, I, oh I set gosh. the alarm for 5am, but I have like some days I'm not the best sleeper. So some days I'm up at like four writing and I don't know why, but that is my favorite time in the world to write. The ideas just flow so much better at 4am then at like noon it's I can't explain it but but I am so close to the end of a draft that I'm just like I'm going to get back to it and I'm going to write until I have to get the kids from school because I'm ready to to be done (laughs) oh my gosh how old are your kids now they're 15 and 17 they're getting pretty old (laughs) I have my oldest are twins they're 15 and a half actually probably closer to 16 now okay yeah craziness. Yeah. It's a fun age, but I mean, that time they tell you, you know, that it goes by in the blink of an eye and it sure does. And I think the older they get, the faster it gets. They're just so busy all the time. Yeah. Very true. Well, amazing. Two kids, eight books. I mean, (laughs) very productive for you. (laughs) And you, I'm always so impressed with everything that you're doing. Amazing. Yeah. 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 Yeah, I'm, I'm jealous of your early morning productivity. I <laughs> I feel like I never like to write in the morning. I'm like email or read. 
like I like to read early in the morning, but um, when I can't sleep, but I don't know, I can't do it. But anyway, um, <laughs> well, it was delightful meeting you. Hopefully I'll see you. At some point I want to come to Chicago. I haven't been there in so long. So I uh, want to do like a Chicago tour with one of our authors or I don't know, something, but yeah, I'd love to meet up in person. Yeah, I would love that. I would absolutely love that. Thank you so much for having me on today and for all your support for the book. No problem. All right, take care. Bye-bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Don't forget to follow me on Instagram at Zibby Owens and at Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Also sign up for my newsletter at ZibbyOwens.com and sign up for my virtual book club and meet lots of authors on Zoom every other week. Thanks so much to Steve and Ryan at Texture Sound for the sound editing. And thank you to Morning Moon Productions for providing this fantastic intro and outro music. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com.